How you doing? How's everybody doing? It is good to be in the house of the Lord, and it is always good to be with the people of the Lord. And when you're around the people of the Lord, you just get better. And uh, I'm just thankful that we get to share this time together. What do you think of the stage, huh? It's coming along. It's it's big. And what you don't know, what you don't realize, is that for years now we've been standing on a portable uh, a portable platform, and uh, it was being held up by boxes. This is the truth. And so, you know, not exactly a small man, and I'd walk in and it's be kind of like that, you know. And uh, so it was always an exercise of faith to come out here. And, uh, and now, uh, you know, it's like I'm standing on the solid rock, you know. It's just, it's, uh, it's absolutely awesome. And something else that you all don't know at uh, all of our locations, uh, we're putting in new equipment, a lot of new equipment, uh, upgrading uh, our tech equipment. And that's why I'm, look at that. Anybody know what that is? It's called a Bible. Anyway, you know, I, we're usually, we usually have a, like a screen up here and stuff like that. And they're still in process. But if you would have been here yesterday, uh, you would have seen boxes everywhere and the place all messed up. And it was amazing how our, our tech teams just actually went to work and put it all together and we all owe a lot, of, a lot of thanks and a lot of gratitude to our tech teams. All of our locations just turn around and say, thank you guys for everything that you do. Appreciate you so, so much. Every location, so many of volunteers that do that, and they're just tireless at that. And we really, really appreciate it. Well, I want to welcome all of those campuses uh, across the region, everybody that's inside, everybody that's online. You heard that incredible announcement last week that there have been a thousand and I think it was a thousand and two baptisms uh, that we've been able to participate in in our inside location since we started that. Over a thousand. Just absolutely incredible. My hat's off to Bill Twadell, uh, who was a chaplain for many years at Western Illinois Correctional Center. He might even be sitting over there right now. Yeah, he is right over there. And uh, uh, just, just incredible, the ministry that's happened. And I, I know that was said last week, but sometimes, you know, uh, like you may have heard me preach before, you got to say it again. And I'm saying it again. Anyway, and we're in the middle of camp season, and God's doing incredible work at camp, uh, and everything is good this year, and we're not dealing with a lot of the circumstances that we had to deal with last year and you know why it's so important you may have never heard this statistic but about 85 percent of decisions initial decisions that are made for christ happen before the age of 15 and I, that makes sense to me because young hearts are more open to faith you know we get a little older we start to get crusty our hearts get hard and life and experience do a lot of things to us, and it's just awesome to see that, those open hearts uh, for faith. And Jesus told us that. He told us that 2,000 years ago when he said, bid the little children come to me and don't forbid them, because that's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And uh, I love uh, that we have a special place to be able to share those possibilities and to share those victories. And that's what our camp location is able to uh, to do. And it connects with this last 
sermon in this series uh, from Ecclesiastes we've been calling Chasing Shades. Because when Solomon concludes this book, this rather dark, uh, cynical book that we've been going through, he says something in the last chapter, chapter 12, verse 1. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come. Anybody can get an amen there? Because the days of trouble come, don't they? Yeah. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. So we really believe in investing in infants, uh, preschoolers, children, uh, and students here at the crossing. And we want to help parents uh, to have the tools they need to help build their faith, uh, the faith of their children. Because you know why? Let me tell you why this is so important. Because it isn't going to be that long before they're going to make all the decisions for you. Some of you need to come to the steps right now, don't you? Yeah, because that's kind of scary that that could actually happen later on in life. So there's a couple, and a lot of times when we think couple, you know, we're thinking of like uh, dating or young married. Well, this couple is a little different than that. Jake is 92 years old, and his girlfriend is Betty, and she's 89, and uh, widow, widower. And they meet each other, and they fall in love. Isn't that a great story right there? And uh, they decide that they want to get married. So Jake and Betty are going to get married, and they're walking down the street one day, and they're talking about their upcoming wedding. And Jake decides to go, to, uh, to go into a drugstore and ask the pharmacist a few questions that he had on his mind. And, and so this is what he asks. He says, do you sell heart medication?" And he says, yeah, we do. And he says, how about pills for high blood pressure? Have you got that? And he goes, yeah, we have that. How about something for hair loss? Do you have that? He says, yeah, we have that. It's over there on aisle three. And uh, how about creams that you can put on like when your joints are stiff? He goes, yeah, we have that as well. Sure. What about something you can take for like memory loss, like Prevagen or whatever that stuff is, right? He goes, that's on aisle five. He goes, do you have wheelchairs or walkers here? He goes, we got them. We can get them for you and all shapes and sizes and he goes that is so great we're going to use this store as our bridal registry (laughs) how many of you can relate to that every day every day I'm relating to that more and more let's face it we're wearing out right some of you don't realize it yet but uh, t- time and experience is going to show you that you're going to wear out. Mark Lowry, uh, a singer and a comedian, says that he doesn't bother with those BMI numbers anymore. That's, how many of you are okay with not bothering with BMI numbers anymore? Yeah, I hate that. Like, you have to be like 100 and 6 foot 9 to be in the right spot on that chart they have at the doctor's office. I hate that. I hate that. So what he has, he's come up with his own, his own way of figuring his body mass index. And uh, he just does it with the numbers. So like if you ask 
Mark, you know, what is, what's your BMI? He'll say, I'm a six. And, okay, that sounds good. Like, okay, I can handle that. And the way he does that is uh, he steps out of the shower, he looks in the mirror, he has a stopwatch, he stomps his foot, hits the stopwatch, and when everything stops jiggling, <laughs> that's his number. So he's like six seconds before everything stops moving. I like that idea. I don't know about you. <laughs> so this is such a depressing chapter. I had to start with some jokes. Anyway, Solomon gives us a very, very poetic way of looking at the harsh reality of getting old. And that's really what Ecclesiastes 12 is about. So I'm going to start. We already did 12.1. Remember the Creator in the days of your youth, right? 12.2 says this. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. What does that mean? Remember your Creator before this stuff happens before the sun and the light and the moon and the star. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the loss of your mental faculties. It's a poetic way where he's talking about you struggle with remembering. And, you know, you, you can't recall things that you just did. How many of you have been to the refrigerator and you don't remember if you were taking something out or putting something in? I mean, yeah. So... You know, it would be great, and some of you have experienced a real tragedy of this in your family with dementia or with Alzheimer's, and, and some of you have been caregivers for that, and that's just a reality, and that's what he's describing in Ecclesiastes 12 too, because those, the days come when this becomes a reality in your life. You lose your mental faculties. In 12.3, he says, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they're few and those looking through windows grow dim. The keepers of the house tremble. Have you ever seen, a, I, 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 know, I remember this from my mother. My mother had, and my father too, had incredible handwriting. They don't even teach cursive writing, I don't think, anymore. But back then they did, right? And, uh, and people took great pride in how good a penmanship they had. Uh, and and they, could, they could write so beautifully. But when, they, but when my parents got older, it was hard even to see what they were writing or to decipher what they were writing because the keepers of the house were trembling. The strong men stoop. It's talking about arthritis. It's talking about arthritis in the back or, you know, different kinds of illnesses that we have where we are no longer able to straighten up. When the grinders cease because they are few. How many of you know what that's talking about? It's talking about your teeth. That's what it's talking about. Of course, you know, now we have different ways of solving that problem. Back then, it was just pull the teeth, right? The grinders cease because they are few. And those looking through the windows grow dim. 
Talking about what? Losing your eyesight. Let's look at verse 4. When the doors of the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. It's talking about your mouth being closed because you can't eat what you used to be able to eat. How many of you remember when you could do, you could eat whatever you wanted and you could just, it would just work out, right? And anymore, uh-uh, you can't do that. And how many of you remember when you could sleep till noon and you could just keep going? And now you can't do that. You can't sleep long enough because you rise up at the sound of birds. You don't sleep as deeply or as long as you'd like. And how many of you don't hear the sound of grinding anymore because your ears don't work like they used to and all their songs of the birds that they rise up to they grow faint look at verse 5 when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets and when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along in desire is no longer stirred. Then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about in the streets. Hmm. It's talking about when you get older, there's an increase in fear. You don't have the same level of confidence that you had before. And so that's why it says you're afraid of the heights and dangers in the streets. You know one fall, and you may not be living in your home anymore, right? Uh something could happen. You could break a hip or something like that. So you're afraid of the heights and you're afraid of dangers in the streets. And so you're a lot more careful about, you know, keeping your doors locked and are you, are, you know, are you safe where you are and that fear of safety. And when the almond tree blossoms, you know, when the almond tree blossoms, it turns white. So it's talking about your hair turning white. And the grasshopper drags himself along when it's hard to get up and walk. You remember when you could just sit, some of you, you could just sit on the floor and you didn't need anybody to give you a hand? And you didn't need to kind of work yourself to your feet? Yeah, the grasshopper's dragging himself along. And desire is no longer stirred. You know what that's talking about? It's talking about your sexual appetite. And then man goes to his eternal home. And mourners go about in the street. I actually like that verse because Solomon actually gives you a glimmer of hope that he actually believes that there may be something later. Even though he doesn't really investigate it in this book, he doesn't talk about it much, he does say that one line, man goes to his eternal home. If you read the rest of the book, you'd know that he really kind of considers death as the end. But he does give you a couple of little glimmers, and that's one. And mourners go about in the street. Look at verse 6. Remember him before the silver cord is severed, the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, 
or the wheel broken at the well. Now we can conjecture about this, but it's talking about different ways we die. The silver cord being broken could be talking about a spinal cord injury or paralysis. The golden bowl being broken is head trauma or stroke. When he talks about uh, the, the pitcher is shattered at the spring, uh, about heart issues or a heart attack, then the wheel broken at the wells, talking about circulation problems. These are the same things that we die of now, right? And then sums it up in verse 7. And the dust returns to the ground it came from. And this is the second time he says it in this chapter. And the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Another glimmer of hope. Man goes to his eternal home. And the Spirit returns to God who gave it. How depressing was all of that? Was there any part of that that was an encouragement to you? Certainly wasn't to me. But you have to admit, this is just life, isn't it? This is just the lower story. This is what happens to everyone. And in many ways, it describes a pretty scary future. I don't know how you read that. Or you think about your future and then you realize because maybe you've seen it with your grandparents, your parents, great-grandparents, you've actually watched this happen, participated in it. How you can't have this underlying fear, this underlying emotion about what's going to happen in my future. Now we have a lot of technology, don't we? We have a lot of stuff that we trust in today. <laughs> and with that technology and the science behind it and all the things that we know now, we can hold it off for a while. You know what you can do? You can take just the right set of pills. And your doctor will help you figure out what those are, right? And they'll hold this back. You can work out. You can buy just for men. Keep that almond tree springtime all around, right? You can do lots of dental work, put in implants, and then the grinders aren't for you. They're not yours, but they're not for you. And the windows that grow dim, well, you can have cataract surgery, and you can get more time out of your eyes, or you can have hair implants if you're losing your hair, or if you can't hear the sound of the bird or the grinding, you can buy hearing aids, or you can have LASIK, or you can have knee replacement, or you can have hip replacement so the strong man doesn't stoop anymore, and you can buy a home security system so you won't be afraid of who might want to break in. You can get yourself a handgun and take some lessons, or you can buy some Viagra <laughs> for that last line. But eventually... All that's going to fail. And the same conclusion will come. True? <laughs> so far, this sermon is really depressing. I just want to leave. How about you? You want to take off right now? Yeah. And that makes sense because 
You know, the person who wrote this book was coming from that place. He really was. He was a man who was dealing with depression. I, I think it was, it, it, this is a book uh, that where a man is dealing with being severely depressed because he's writing it in old age and he has done all these things in life and he's realizing that all of the opportunities he had, all the money, all the power, all the relationships, all that stuff really didn't get him anywhere because his body was going to fail. He was realizing something. He was realizing he was mortal. And so over and over in this book, he refers to death, doesn't he? Talks about death. And it makes sense that he would say it's all meaningless. Because he looks at his life, all that he's accomplished, all that he's done, all that he's experienced, and he is feeling his old age, and he's looking at life and kind of in a retrospective way, and he's going, what's the point? It doesn't really make any sense. See, he was looking for something to satisfy him for the long haul. And even though the things that he was doing was satisfying him in the moment, none of that was supplying what he needed for the long haul. But just because Solomon didn't have a handle on it, it doesn't mean that it needs to escape you. And that's really what I want to talk about. I said all of that so I could say this. In Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14, he says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now there's an interesting word here that I want to point out to you. When he says, fear God and keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of all mankind. And that's an English word and an English phrase that doesn't do justice to the original language. The word duty. Because when you look at that in its original language, what you actually find out is that the word that really describes what he's saying is wholeness. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the wholeness of mankind. What does that mean? Wholeness. To give a sense of completion. To give a sense of satisfaction. That goes beyond the things of this world. Fear God and keep His commands, and it'll provide this wholeness. Now i got to ask you a question. Do you feel wholeness in your life right now? Or are there empty spaces and places that you just can't seem to get filled up? That you're always looking for the next thing, the better thing, the more up-to-date thing? Because that's what's going to actually, you think, is going to fill that up. Well, you should know from the book of Ecclesiastes that just doesn't happen. Do you have wholeness? Is there a way that I can find it? Is there a way that I can find wholeness? And how in the world am I supposed to trust this guy 
that has literally tried everything else. You know what I think? I think that the biggest secret in the book of Ecclesiastes is that Solomon knew the answer. I think he knew the answer the whole time. I think that he knew after God told him what he was supposed to do in life because he had two conversations with God. He just didn't want to make the investment in that direction. He wanted to make the investment in worldly things, so he laid up his treasures on the earth rather than his treasure in heaven. And because of that, wholeness escaped him. Now, he still knew what was right. He just didn't walk it out. The wholeness that he and we are searching for can only be found in one place. Do you realize that? And that is in what he said, fearing God and keeping his commands. And when you think of those two terms, fear God, keep his commands, it's actually talking about what's going on in your heart and mind. Fearing God is something that's happening internally, right? It's a mental understanding and it's also an emotional understanding. So it's a heart and mind thing. And then the actions that go with it are keep his commands, right? So what, what, what God is saying through Solomon is that we need to have the right heart and mind to fear God, and then we need to walk that out in our daily life. Now, this word fear really trips us up, doesn't it? Fear God. Because what we do is uh, it get, we, we, we come up with this idea that God's mean, and He's unforgiving, and He's intimidating, and He never stops measuring us. And so we have to be afraid of him. In order to understand the term, we need to understand ourselves as God's children. Now, some of us have struggled with parents. Some of us have nightmare stories about parents. And so the idea of fear has a very different context with you. But some of us had really good parents. But that doesn't mean we didn't fear our parents. You hear what I'm saying? You can have bad parents and for bad reasons you are afraid of them. You can have good parents and you can still fear them. But it's not the same because to fear is not the same in this context as to be afraid of. Okay? It carries a different connotation. So I want you to understand that. I want you to understand that connotation for those of you that have had good parenting and you know you're very thankful for who's who God put in your life as parents, you think you're, you'll capture this more. Uh, for those of you that have real struggles with parents, it'll be a little bit harder to grab a hold of, but I want you to try, okay? Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to break the word fear down into an acronym, an F-E-A-R, okay? So here's the first, because this is where it applies. This is where you apply it. Number one. F. The F in fear means to have faith. To have faith that God is here, that God is near, that He's a God who sees, that He's a God who knows, and that He's a God who remembers. How you doing? You understand how that can be fear? I lived in a neighborhood 
where if I did something wrong, three mothers had called my mother before I ever got home. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? So if I was doing something wrong, I would be afraid. But you have to ask, you have to, you have to internalize that. How do you feel about a God who's here? How do you feel about a God who's near? How do you feel about a God who sees? How do you feel about a God who hears and knows and remembers? Faith. It's funny, isn't it? Because we want to think of faith as a positive word, but in the different context, it can be actually a scary word, right? Because like, I don't know if I want God to hear or see or know or remember what I do. There's two sides to that. The only issue is, uh, is the when, right? It's like, what am I doing at this particular time? So faith. Actually, this idea of faith is actually very sobering to me. Fear God. Have faith in God. But that means it's that God. What does the E stand for? Experience His grace. Experience His grace. Because just the F, just the, just the, the have faith in God, that He can see all that, actually, that is a very sobering and can be very frightening. But if I put the E in there to experience His grace, this is what I also know about God. He loves me. He protects me. He forgives me. And like it says in 1 Corinthians 13, he keeps no record of wrongs. Even though he's a God who remembers, he keeps no record of wrongs. Wow. While my faith can frighten me, his grace calms me down. To fear God means I understand the reality, the truth about who he is and what he knows and where he is. But the other part of His grace, experiencing His grace, means that I know this about His nature. That, that He's not a harsh, mean-spirited God. And you know, that brings me to the A in fear. Because when I think about those two things together, it gives me a sense of awe. And that's what A stands for, awe. I'm in awe of a God who can know every flaw every secret thought in me and still will extend His grace. I'm in awe of that. And the R stands for resolved. Resolved. I am resolved. If I want to fear God, I am resolved to live for a God that I cannot fool, that isn't gullible or naive, who's firm but loving, who's just but merciful, who's strong but tender, who has all the answers but is always listening, is passionate but kinder, in control, never surprised but filled with wonder. Someday I'm going to stand before him and so will you. And everything I ever did will be brought into judgment. Every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil, will be exposed to that light. Now, that's a scary thought. And this is where Solomon's story ends. 
But it's only the beginning of mine. And it's only the beginning of yours. Because I know that when those records are brought out and everything I've ever done or thought is recorded in those books, I know that Jesus will step forward and he will take those records away because Jesus paid it all. See that? He paid it all. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel in Ecclesiastes. Is I have plenty of reasons to be afraid of God. But I have a God who extended his grace when he sent his son Jesus down here to this earth to live, to die, not for anything he did, but for what I've done. That he paid my debt, not his. That he was nailed to my cross, not his. That he took my beating, not his. That he endured my death when he died, but proved his power over death when he rose from the dead. That's the gospel. So today, I can fear God, but I don't have to be afraid of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says I have confidence to approach the holy place. To be in the very presence of God. I can confidently stand in the presence of God because he sees his child because of Jesus Christ. How about you? Are you afraid of God? Or do you fear God? And you want to keep his commands? Because this is the whole duty of mankind. This is what makes you whole. God will bring everything into account, whether it's good or evil. But He's taken care of all that evil through the grace that was given to us through His Son, Jesus. Solomon says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and, I find, and you find no pleasure in them. I say, you will never be younger than you are right now. Amen? Amen? So, just like it said in the book of Acts, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait for tomorrow. We're moving to a time of decision. How do I do that? How do, how do I take that step? I love being able to explain this every time I stand on the floor, right here. I love being able to explain that. That God knows you're a sinner just like you do. That you can know that everybody sitting around you is no better than you. That we're all in a boat and it's sinking. And we all share in the same fate, except for Somebody gave you something that you didn't deserve, you could never earn, it was too expensive to ever pay for. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross, was buried, and he rose again. That gospel message. And when you take God at his word, and you believe that he loves you that much, that he would not withhold the life of his only son, so that you could spend eternity with him. And you agree with that truth. And you realize that, 
or you want to accept a truth that maybe is hard for you. That Jesus didn't die for the whole world. He died for you. He died for you. It's easy to say that Jesus died for the whole world, but when you say that, you seem pretty insignificant. But God doesn't want you to feel insignificant. He wants you to know that Jesus died for you. He knew your name. 2,000 years in the future, He knew your name when He was dying on that cross. That's why the Bible says it was for the joy before Him that He endured the cross. The joy of spending eternity with you. Some of us are going, well, you don't know, you don't know. No, I don't, but He does. And He's not a liar. Regardless of what you've done, He loves you. And Jesus is for you. And just like Jesus said, only sick people need a doctor and only sinners need a Savior. And we're all the same in this room. And if you have never made that personal decision to say, I want to be in an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you can do that right now. There's going to be somebody standing right over by the baptistry that would love to talk with you, pray with you, answer any questions that you have. You could be, you could get in that water. We've got all the stuff for you to change in. The water's warm. And you could bury that old self. You could die, be buried, and rise from the dead and be a new creation in Jesus Christ. You could do it today. There's nothing standing in the way but you. Many of you here today have made that decision. You live in that reality. But don't try to fool everybody to think that you've got it all figured out. Because you don't, neither do I. And that's why we have these steps. We always have these steps. Because we just need to be able to approach God, to do business with God. And I want you, if you've got a burden that you're carrying for yourself or someone else, to come up and not be too proud to get on your knees and humble yourself before an almighty God and say, take this burden. Help me. Like Peter did when he sank, when he was walking on water. He just said, Lord, save me. That was it. And the hand went down and he lifted him up and put him back in the boat. And he'll do that for you today. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. In Jesus' name, Heavenly Father, take this moment. Take this moment from our perspective, because the moment, every moment, every breath, it belongs to you. But take this moment, because we acknowledge your ownership of it. And I pray, Father, that you would just produce a harvest with it in our hearts. You're so good. Help us to trust you and to go to you in this moment, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.